You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We are looking at Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this encouraging promise in Zephaniah. I just ask that you would speak to our hearts, encourage our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. So I was thinking about this on the way over here this morning, on the way to my office. Uh, It was not anything I wrote into my manuscript, but uh, I'm not going to wear this for the whole service. But this is one of the prizes you would get if you finished the Tough Mudder. Uh, I I was able to do the Tough Mudder two years in a row, and and, uh, the thing that you received as a result of finishing it was this along with a really cool quick-dry shirt and a beer. That's what was waiting for you at the end, uh, at the end of uh, Tough Mudder, and you earned all three of them. Uh, the, one of the last obstacles was, a, they called it electric shock therapy. So 70,000 volts of electricity uh, in any of those hundreds of wires that were hanging down, and you had to run through it. Now you're asking yourself, why in the world would you do that? I don't know, but it's fun. And... Uh, and he gets shocked with one of those things. It would completely uh, render you motionless, and you basically, the point is that, so that you do a face plant in the mud. So they call it the tough mudder. Uh, so that's what we would receive, one of these. And uh, there's a lot of pride in, in, in getting one of these. Paul said something similar in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, this is not what I'm preaching on. I just want to explain why We're taking this time today to look at Zephaniah. It says, but do you not know, in chapter 9, verse 24 of 1 Corinthians, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And my goal... uh, today is to encourage your heart. You know, we spent, you know, over 20 weeks in the book of Romans just fleshing out what the gospel is in Romans. 
You know, why there is no condemnation for those whose faith and trust rests in Jesus Christ. But, you know, it, we live in a world where it's easy to be discouraged. I mean, it, today, on my newsfeed, on my phone, learned about two police officers who, who were in the hospital. They were, um, uh, you know, injured. I don't know the, ex the extent of their injuries, but there were protesters outside that hospital in L.A. chanting for their death. For, that they would die. You know, what is it that, that you know, keeps us, I'm talking about the body of Christ, I'm talking about people who's placed, who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What is it that's going to keep you going, that's going to keep you pressing forward in a, in a crazy messed up world that, we've, that we find ourselves in? We're not, we're not looking for something that's perishable. We're, we're, we've got to, we're fixing our minds on something that's imperishable. The gospel, as we looked in Romans, is all about what God is doing in us and through us, that we are different because of the gospel. We are now sons and daughters of the God of all creation because of the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done on our account. But what Zephaniah does for us is it reminds us that there's a day coming, there's a day coming that we can all set our minds on and set our, uh, set our attention on. It's similar to what... Uh, the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12, when he said, you know, let's set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning to remind you what, we're, what we have our eyes set on. Yeah, we have our eyes set on Jesus, but, there's, but as a result, there's so much that God has in store for his people. So, all of that was not in my, my notes. But the question I want to ask you is this. How does the holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God who knows everything about you, knows everything about me, how does he feel about you when you think of God? In your mind, how does God feel about you? The temptation is to think, well, he doesn't feel very good about me right now because of what I did yesterday, or whatever. But Zephaniah tells us something completely different. What's interesting about Zephaniah, before we get into chapter 3, is the first two chapters are about this judgment that was coming to the nations, but also to uh, God's people, Israel, because of, their, because of their idolatry and their sin. But chapter 3 is a reminder that what sets God's people apart is that even in the midst of their sin, his plan for them is to restore them and, and, and to sing over them. I mean, listen to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 again. I mean, we've already read through the passage, but this is, this is about you and this is about me. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Like we show up together, to gather together, and we sing loud songs, hopefully, to, you know, about our God, and we want to exalt over our God. But the Bible tells us that, that God is exalting over his people. He's not worshiping his people. He is exalting over his people like a, like a proud dad exalts over his, his children. Not because of anything that they've done, but because of, because of who they are, uh, and in this case, who we are in Jesus. 
If, you're, if you have the NIV, we'll look at the NIV in a second because it's got something a little different here. But I want to point out five things that we are promised that Israel, a restored Israel is promised and that what all of God's people are promised. And that is, one, Yahweh will live among his people. When, I said this before, but when you read the Old Testament, anytime you see the word Lord and it's all capitals, that is the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word for that is Yahweh. Every time Yahweh is used, to my knowledge, it's used in reference to the God who keeps his promises, the God who is faithful to his people. So that's the word that's used here. Yahweh will live among his people. Secondly, Yahweh is a mighty warrior who fights for his people. Third, Yahweh will restore his people. Fourth, Yahweh will delight in his people. Fifth, Yahweh will sing over his people. And we know that, uh, that, the, that the king that, I, that Zephaniah refers to here that will live amongst his people is Jesus. If you're taking notes, uh, you see that in Matthew 27, verse 42, Mark chapter 15, verse 32. Jesus is the king of Israel that Zephaniah, I believe, refers to. The NIV uh, translates this verse a little differently. I'm setting this all up for you, but, but in the NIV, which you'll see on the screen if you're not using the NIV, uh, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. And this is where it changes things up a little bit. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. Very different than the way the ESV translates it. But you will, uh, but will rejoice over you with singing. So, so which is it? What's going on here? The Hebrew word that's translated you know, in this verse can mean quiet, it can mean hold. And here's what I think, right? I think that what it's talking about here is that as a result of this God who loves you, he will restore you. That's the point that's being made. Uh, in verse 11 and 12 of Zephaniah, we see, you will not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They will seek refuge in the name of Yahweh. You know, they'll, they'll find their salvation and their restoration and their redemption in, the, in, in Yahweh as they, as they seek refuge in him. The tone of Zephaniah is... I think is echoed in, in Micah chapter 7. I'm, we're going to read this together because it sets the tone. It's one of my favorite passages, uh, Micah chapter 7. This is a great verse to, to memorize, especially if uh, in light of you know, when you sin. This is, a, this is a great passage. It says, let's read this together. You ready? Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Until he pleads my case and upholds my cause, he will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Like, I've said this before. The enemy, or the devil, or even sometimes your own, your, your own self will, will, will try to, will cause you to be overwhelmed by by the guilt of your sin to the point where you're paralyzed to, to move forward. That's what the enemy will want you to do. And Micah says, don't gloat over me because I belong to Yahweh and he will, he, he, he's going to plead my cause and he's going to turn this around in my life 
And that's what's going on here in Zephaniah. Uh, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. I I feel like that's the equivalent of what Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says. There's no condemnation for those who, who, who are in Jesus, who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what I want to do is I just want to show you what we have to look forward to. I'm going to share a bunch of verses with you. I just want to paint this picture for what we, will, uh, what we have to look forward to and how God, in a very tangible way, will sing over his people. And the first is that God will sing over his people through the giving of his kingdom. That's what Zephaniah is talking about here. Like when Jesus comes back, and he's coming back, we, God will rejoice over us through the peace that only Jesus can bring to earth. And I said this a bunch of times. No legis- form of legislation, no politician, no, no, no country is, going to, is able to bring you the type of peace that we long for and that we were made for. The only one that's able to do that is Jesus. And, and we're told in Isaiah that when Jesus sets up his kingdom, that the, that the culture of, uh, of the earth, of the world, as a result, will be this, that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them, The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. In another passage, later on in in that same chapter, we're told this, that the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. I mean, think about that. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If you're wondering what it will be like when Jesus sets up his kingdom, if there will be animals, there will be animals there. But they're going to behave differently. And the earth will, will know only peace. But the, the, the reality is, is that it's just like phase one of a two-phase process of God removing the curse of sin. The earth that Jesus will set his kingdom on will be this earth that, is still, that will still be affected by the curse of sin. That there will be two types of people during that time. And I believe that time, according to the Bible, I believe it will be literally a thousand years that Jesus will reign on the earth and, and he will bring peace to this earth. There will be two types of people. There will be the bride of Christ and that all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, whose hope rests in Jesus, both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, and then there will be everybody else. And the everybody, everybody else will be those who did not bow or worship the beast or bow to the Antichrist. Uh, during that time, that will not be given marriage. They will still be having children during that time. The only people that will not be given in marriage or will have children during that time is the bride of Christ. The church. Um, now, I don't know what happens with, with that group of people at the end of the thousand years. I mean, I, I may, maybe they're in, infused into or incorporated into uh, the people of God. But, uh, but that day is coming. We're told that when Jesus rules and reigns on earth, we're, set, we're told in Isaiah chapter 2, 
He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of Yahweh. You know, well, why do I believe this is coming? Because there's an empty tomb. Nobody thought people could just walk out of the tomb or out of the grave. Jesus did. And his promise is that he's coming back. All through the Old Testament and New Testament, he's coming back. And when he comes, he will make what's wrong with this world right. That all the nations of the earth, when they see his, his appearing, will, will wail, we're told. They'll, 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 they'll weep king. That's why he is the king. And Jesus will set up his kingdom. There will be one king. That's why he is the king of kings and lord of lords. But then there's another thing that's coming, another, another promise, and that is at the end of that, so, so during the thousand years, Satan will be bound, he'll, be, he'll have no influence on the earth. One of my favorite passages in Revelation is that he will be released at the end of the thousand years, he'll deceive the nations that are not the church, they'll, he'll deceive the nations, they'll gather around the holy city, we're told, which it will be Israel or Jerusalem, and fire will come down out of heaven and consume them. That's it, end of story. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire, and, uh, and there will be, we'll never have to deal with him ever again. But the second thing that God is going to do is he will sing over his people through the giving of a new creation. Like there's coming a day where he will make, where heaven and earth will become one. And, 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 and there will be no more curse of sin. It will be, as Second Peter says, it, it, it will be the kind of, Earth will experience the kind of resurrection Jesus experienced, where Jesus' resurrected body was new. The same will be with the, with the earth. We learn in 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's read it together, actually. I think I, so, ready? The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Like, that's real. Like, this is, this is stuff that's coming. That's why, this is why whatever happens in November regarding who's elected president or whoever is our president after, after January, whenever it is that, that we have our new president, like, whatever happens, you don't have to lose your mind over it. Like, God is still sovereign. And he's got a plan for, for creation. And it isn't the spreading of, of the Republic of America, or it's not any of that. It actually will be a, it's called a theocracy. He, one king. <laughs> not a Congress, not a Senate, one king. And he will come. And when he comes, we learn in Isaiah 35, when God makes all things new and, and, and we experience this, this heaven and earth merger and, and, and he, he resurrects this earth, we learn in Isaiah chapter 35 this. Let's read this together. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And what is this? And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Think about that. Sorrow and sighing will not dissipate, will run, <laughs> will flee away. Any of you experience sorrow and sighing? 
this week? One person? You all lie. Like, I was, I was, I was sighing on Tuesday. I, was, is that when we got our snowstorm? Yeah, I was sighing. Um, when, I, when I saw that news feed, I experienced sorrow. Like, how is it, like, how, how, we, how have we come to the place where those who have been sworn to protect us were ambushed, and you have a bunch of people outside screaming for their, for their death? There's coming a day when everlasting joy shall be upon our heads. Everlasting joy. You know what that means? It's joy that will never end. You, you know what else that means? There will be no receding of that joy. Like, it, like the joy that we experience with every passing moment in eternity, if we can wrap our minds around that, uh, will be better and greater than the previous joy. Like it's always increasing. Wherever God is, listen, wherever God is, heaven is present. This is why I cringe a little bit. When at a funeral service we make it all about the person who died, that they're going to a better place because why? They're going to go and they're going to see people that have gone before them. That doesn't make heaven great. Do you know what make heaven, make, makes heaven great? Not, not Aunt Sally. <laughs> God. <laughs> Like, like when you die, you get God. You, you, you get Him. You get Jesus. You, 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 with, without all the things that hinder us from enjoying Him as fully as, as we were made to, to enjoy Him. That wherever God is, heaven is present. And that, wherever, and, and that where God is present, there is an unending, eternal climax of joy. That never ends. That's why in Revelation 21, verse 4, like, when, like God will make his presence you know, on earth, just like the Garden of Eden, but better, and we will see his face. And we're told in Revelation 21 that he will, what will he do? Wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall, there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Um, you know, when, when Eric Clapton's son passed away, tragically, he wrote the, the song Tears in Heaven, and then some Christian group decided they needed to theologically, you know, they needed to correct the theology of, of Eric Clapton to say, no, there, there's no tears in heaven. Eric Clapton said, no, there's tears in heaven. And this Christian group said, no, there's, there's no tears in heaven. Newsflash, right now there's tears in heaven. Like if you read Revelation chapter 7 sometime, the martyred saints right now, Christians who have died because of their faith right now are pleading with God, how long, how long will you wait? How long will it be before you make all this mess right? But when God gives us the creation, when he gives us the creation and we and experience his singing in a very tangible way over us, there will be no tears. There will be no tears in heaven. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Every tear. No more death, no more curse, no, none of that. None of that. We will experience in a very tangible way the singing of God over us. And I like 
the way we as parents sing over our children, maybe not audibly, but on Christmas. Like how many of you at the end of, at the, end of the day on Christmas wrote an invoice for your children and handed it to them and said, this is what you owe me for the gifts I gave you? Anybody? Because if you did, we've got to talk. <laughs> like, no. I love watching my kids open up their gifts. It, my heart is overwhelmed. Why? Why is my heart overwhelmed with watching my children open up their gifts? Because it's an expression of my love in a very tangible way. Guess what? Like what we read about in the Bible, and the reason why we don't need to lose our minds over what's happening in, the, in our world today is Christmas is coming. Like it's coming. God has promised us that it's coming. When, when every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. For all of eternity, we will experience the loud singing of the love of a God who just, who, whose delight is to give us the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. Sam Storms in his book, One Thing, said this about, about our experience on that day. He said, you know, it will not be like the steady, placid state of a mountain lake where, where barely a ripple disturbs the tranquility of its water. Instead, our joy on the new earth will be this. It will be more akin to the surging, swelling waves of the Mississippi at flood stage. With each passing day, there is an increase in the level of water. And as the rain of revelation and insight and discovery continues to fall throughout uh, the endless ages of eternity, so the water level of love and joy and happiness rises higher and higher, never to abate to any degree diminish. The heavenly river of revelation will never crest. The waters of our enjoyment will suffer no such limitations. Like, I can't wait for that day. And, then, you know, and, and Jesus said, my heavenly Father is delighted to give you the kingdom. He said, fear not. Why did he say fear not to his disciples? Because he knew what was coming for all of his disciples. He knew all of them, with the exception of maybe John, would die horrible, violent deaths because of their faith in Jesus. He knew that was coming for, for them. And he knew John would suffer a very long uh, life as a, as a, as a Christian you know, because of his faith in Jesus. And he said, fear not, little flock. Fear not. Why? For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's why. Because what's coming, what's coming uh, far surpasses any, anything that you've experienced or will experience so far. Like, this is not as good as it gets. I said last week, you know, this, for the Christian, everything that you experience on this earth is the closest that you will ever come to experiencing hell. But for those people standing outside the hospital who are chanting the deaths of the police officers, the closest that they will ever come to experiencing heaven, unless, unless God opens their heart, unless they place their faith and trust in Jesus, that this is the closest that they'll come, ever come to experiencing heaven. And later on, verse 19 of Zephaniah 3, we're promised this. He says, I will deal with all those who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. 
He's not just talking about Israel. He's talking about all of, all of his people. Like when God sees you, he's not disgusted by you. He's not repulsed by you. You think anything that you've done takes God by surprise? Like if, 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 for those of you who are Christian, like it, you think like whatever decision you made that was jacked up and, and, and sinful that God thought to himself, well, I didn't see that coming. I, I should have should never save that person. Like you, you think that's his response? No. Jesus became all of our sin on the cross. All of it. Past, present, and future. And even with all of that, we're told, we're promised, like Jesus even said in John chapter 10, he said, nobody, nobody will ever snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nobody. Does it give you a license to go sin and just have at it? No. Because the evidence that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a desire to live for God. Like something has changed in your heart. God has done this miracle in your life. And he's singing over you. All your imperfections and everything that, that, that's true of you, he is still singing over you with, uh, with loud shouts of joy. He is exulting over you as his son and as his daughter. And, and when we turn on the news or when we watch the, when our news feed on our phones pop up and tell us the, the, the latest thing that's going on in our world, uh, we need to be reminded that we have no reason to fear. For it is God's good pleasure that he is giving us the kingdom. He's giving it to us. And when he does, we will see God face to face. It will be like Eden, but it will be better. It will be, it will be a whole other type of Christmas morning for us. Like I knew, I, as, even as a child, I, I knew that it was the result of my parents' love for both myself and my brother that the Christmas tree went up. Uh, it was a fresh pine tree every year. It was, it was beautifully decorated. And when we got up in the morning, there were gifts all around the Christmas tree, just all around it. And my father and my mother, they, when they were together, they, they, they were beaming with joy as we opened up those gifts. And my brother never responded, nor have I ever responded with, oh, well, how much do I owe you? It was, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Why? Because it was, they were gifts, and our parents, they were just beaming with joy as a result. And, and the, the promise of Zephaniah for you and for me is that Christmas is coming, and it's not perishable. Like, it's not going to find its way in a landfill somewhere. It's coming. It's coming. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I just want to close with one other passage in Revelation 22. Like, if you want a portrait of what that day is going to be like, uh, we, get a, we get a portrait, we get a picture in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's coming. You know, in Narnia, there's this phrase where it's, it's always winter but never Christmas. That was the present state of Narnia until Aslan was on the rise. And as Aslan made his way, uh, you know, the, 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 the winter started to melt away. Well, it might feel like winter. guarantee that it's coming is that Christmas is coming. And, and, and the guarantee that it's coming is that there's an empty tomb. And Jesus said, I am coming back the same way I left. And uh, every eye will see him. We were told at the beginning of Revelation, even those who have pierced him. And if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you want to know what it means to have your sins forgiven, the Bible says you don't have to do anything to earn it. You just need to place your, you need to, to, to believe it by faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. The Bible says that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. And if that's your heart here, just before you leave here, just tell God, tell him in your own language, tell him how you feel and ask him you know, to, to forgive you of your sins because of what Jesus did on the cross in your place. And the guarantee that, that what he did was legitimate is that he walked out of that tomb three days later. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all the promises that we looked at God's for, for day and the scores of other promises that are for your God's for, for God's people, for your people uh, that are that are in the scriptures. God, we we thank you. And we are encouraged by the fact that you sing over your people. And that there's coming a day where you will wipe away our tears. And all the crazy, ridiculous things that are happening in our world today, all of that has a shelf life. All of it has a shelf life. But your kingdom is forever and is coming. And for that we long and for that we're so thankful for. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.